Colossians chapter 1. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. Good morning. Uh, I haven't met all of you yet, but I'm Dr. Cromwell, the chair of the ministry and theology department here at Central. I'm also an ordained pastor in the Free Methodist Church. Last week, uh, the week before, I believe that you met my husband, Bruce Cromwell, who's the superintendent of the Great Plains Conference of the Free Methodist Church. Well, I'm going to be bringing the message um, this week and then uh, a few more times this fall. And as you probably already know, our theme has been taken from Hebrews chapter 9, uh, chapter 6, verse 19, which says, We have this hope, a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. Uh, and so I want to talk to you about what it means uh, for uh, what it means to have an anchor of the soul and who this anchor is and how he can anchor your soul. So today we're just going to be diving into who Jesus is, how we even understand who God is. And I've already read a few verses out of Colossians chapter one, and this is one of several passages in the New Testament that sum up who Christ is and what he has done. So we're going to be taking a deeper dive into that today. Now, Paul, who was the author of the, uh, this letter to the Colossians that I read from, was definitely aware of this need to anchor ourselves and anchor our soul in uh, someone more powerful uh, than us. And in this first chapter of his letter, he wrote about uh, the all-encompassing power of Jesus. Jesus, who is the image of the invisible God. Jesus, who is the firstborn over all creation, by whom all things were created, who existed before all things. In him, all things hold together. He's the head of the church. He's the firstborn from among the dead. All of God's fullness dwelt in him, and through him, God was reconciled to the world. That's a lot of descriptions of Christ in such a short passage. Um, and I think we'd all want somebody clearly that powerful on our side. But, you know, it's as easy as it is to know with our mind or to think with our mind all of these things about Christ, to think all of the right things. It's not always easy for all of those things that we want to think up here to actually be things that transform our heart and then our outward actions. I mean, you say you believe. Cool. Good. But has that belief changed your life? I mean, scripture tells us even the demons believe and shudder. Having, um, having our name, uh, it's the most important thing is to have our name in uh, what scripture calls his book of life. How do we, how is it that we love the Lord our God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength? How often do we get bogged down by the things of this world and fail to see that this is not our final resting place? When life gets hard, how uh, do we stir ourselves to awaken uh, to Christ in our own lives? Do we take a nap through the ordinariness of our existence, often our sinful existence? Well, today I want to talk about how 
we think about Christ and how we can start the process of placing him in every aspect of our heart, minds, and actions. Now, let's look back at that passage from Colossians. It says at the beginning in verse 15, the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Now, this is not just a matter of Jesus beginning 2,000 years ago in a stable in Bethlehem, or even being born in the way that we think about it. Paul is telling us that Christ is the firstborn over all creation. I mean, I'm the firstborn in my family. Well, actually, I'm an only child, but I'm still the firstborn. Uh, but that's not exactly what it means, what Paul means when he says Jesus was the firstborn. He's not talking about that Christ was the firstborn among several children born of God. That's not at all what he's uh, trying to, what he's trying to get across. It doesn't even mean that God, that Jesus had a beginning in time. Christ is eternal. He is, uh, has always existed alongside the father and the Holy spirit. He's always been, he's always, and he always will be. But the idea of firstborn in what uh, the culture that uh, Paul is existing is talking about a priority in rank rather than a priority in time. So for instance, in this culture, the firstborn, uh, the, the oldest was not necessarily the firstborn. So if you have read Genesis, you know the story of Isaac and Jacob. You can go back and read that if you're not familiar with it. They were not the oldest, but they were firstborn in the sense that they were the heir. They were the heirs to the lines of their father. So you could say that just because you're born first doesn't make you the leader of the family. That would be another way to say it. So what, what Paul is trying to say here is that being firstborn has to do with maybe rank and privilege. We believe, we confess that Jesus is God. And since he is God, he's in he ranks over, uh, he ranks supreme over all the creation. He is firstborn. He is in charge. He's the true leader over all. It's more than just being the first baby born. And here's some more. Not only is Christ the God who created us, he's also the one who died on our behalf and was raised from the dead. Now, let's think about that. Um, God sent his only son, his own son, to die for us. And God didn't have to, but God died for us. We humans are selfish, sometimes sinful, but we were ransomed by love, by love itself, God dying for us. That's why Christ came to earth in the first place. A famous musician once wrote, he wrote, remember, merciful Jesus, that I am the cause of your journey. Right? It's a recognition that it was our choices to sin that led to Christ having to come to earth and dying in our place. But by rising from the grave, Jesus becomes the firstborn among the dead. Again, there's that word firstborn again. The first one who experienced true resurrection. Right? The Bible has other stories of people coming back to life, but they ended up, they, there still was a time in which they died. Right? So it wasn't a true resurrection in that they weren't uh, completely done with death. Many of you know all of this, right? You have gone to church all of your life and you know many of these things. 
But what I have found, at least in my age, is sometimes it doesn't hurt to be reminded of who Christ is and what exactly he did. For some of you, you're hearing some of this for the very first time. So I really want these words to sink into you. Paul tells us in verse 19 that God was pleased to have his fullness dwell in him. Fullness. That's another big word. What exactly does that mean? It's a weighted word. It means more than just being full of food, full from dinner, right? Fullness, all his fullness dwell in him. Now, there were some people uh, at this time, as Paul, as some of the New Testament was being written, that used this word, fullness. It actually was, had a technical meaning, but it really doesn't have in our culture. And when they said fullness, they meant this realm between heaven and earth where a bunch of angels lived. And they thought that, Christ, that Jesus was just one more of these essentially angels living between God and the people. But Paul was taking that word that they were using to mean Jesus wasn't that important to say, actually, Christ, Jesus Christ is the complete and full embodiment of God. He's the full and complete embodiment of God. Christ was and is the only person who can intercede between human beings and God. First Timothy chapter two, verse five tells us there is one God. There is one mediator between God and humankind, Christ Jesus himself, a human, no other intermediary, no other go between, between people is able to stand in our place before the Lord only Jesus. I can't do it. You can't do it. Your parents can't play that role for you. In fact, if you're banking on getting to heaven because of what your parents or your grandparents have done, then I've got some news for you, right? We have to awaken to the reality, awaken to Christ, that when we stand before the judgment seat, we stand by ourselves. And unless we have Jesus standing with us, right? Uh, we are quite alone. So tell me, when was the last time that you went out and watched the sunrise or sunset? Now you're in Kansas now. Some of you are from Kansas. Some of you are living in Kansas for the first time. And this is one of the beautiful things about living in Kansas is that we have um, a front row seat to beautiful sunrises and sunsets. And when we really pause and we listen to the birds we watch the clouds in the sky. Um, those can be holy moments when we can sit and we can really just allow God to speak to us uh, through this beautiful part of nature. And one of the things that is difficult to find during college, I know, is time. It's even more difficult to find quiet, uh, some of you are experiencing that for the first time, right? Who haven't had a roommate before. But when we set aside time to um, let God speak to us in that silence, I think we'll truly hear his voice. I mean, let's, let's think for a moment. Think about a pond. There's a pond you can walk to. I don't know which direction I'm in. There's a pond you can walk to not far from the college, right? On a still day, right? The surface kind of acts like a mirror and it reflects the clouds in the sky and reflects the sun. And if we look in 
if the if the water is clear right if it's good clear water we can see to the bottom and maybe we'll see a fish um, swim past but what if we throw a rock into that pond right if it's disturbed uh, by that right so this as soon as we throw that in the surface is gets agitated right there's ripples there's waves under the surface and things might get cloudy with mud and I think a lot of times our lives are like ponds and things are calm when we can slow down we can see down to the bottom we can detect movement and motion but when things are unsettled noisy crowded everything's murky cloudy we can't see we can lose hope. And I think um, some of us, very few of us have lives that are constantly like that still pond, right? For most of us, especially in college, it's more like a kitchen blender, right? Where that you have plugged in and you're trying to make a smoothie, the engine is going, the, the blades are moving, the motion is pureeing, everything is very turbulent and loud. There's something to be said for taking time out of your life and pausing to hear what God specifically, the word that God specifically has for you. Um, when we're calm before God, we can start to see the disturbances in our lives. We can see things that maybe have been buried in our hearts. Maybe we can see imperfections. Maybe we can see ways in which we need um, God's help. Scripture says, be still and know that I am God, right? That stillness can be an act of inviting God into our lives. You know, one of the things about um, choosing to ask this firstborn of creation to be, to reign supreme over our lives is that when he does, when we're, um, when we're choosing to follow him, we're devoting ourselves to his service right? It's a whole other way uh, to live our lives in good times, but especially in bad. Um, it says salvation comes from the Lord. You know, as we've already said, only Christ Jesus can suffice. Can suffice. Humanity is broken. We spend our lives trying to fix up our own problems, but God, uh, we can ask God into our lives and to sort of be that glue to help refashion our lives and put those broken pieces together. Psalm 46 says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help uh, in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Colossians 1, in fact, tells us to be strong with all the strength that comes from his glorious power, to be prepared to endure everything with patience, to joyfully give thanks to the Father. But why? Because, it says, he has rescued us from the power of darkness transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. God sent his son to rescue us from sin. We couldn't rescue ourselves. So Jesus came and paid the price for our salvation. In fact, the book of Romans says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He takes us away from danger. If we choose to follow him, he can help us to draw closer to him and away from our temptations. So that when we become tempted, it becomes easier and easier to do what Jesus would do, to live like Jesus would, and to follow Christ in our lives. It says, he's rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves, in whom we have redemption, 
the forgiveness of sins. You know, in letting Christ and choosing Christ as our anchor, um, it's a choice that we need to make over and over again, right? We, make, we can make an initial decision, but sometimes we still have to get up in the morning and say, this day, I still choose Christ. I choose him as my anchor. You know, verses 22 and 23 of Colossians say, um, he has now reconciled us in his fleshly body through death so that as present as to present us holy and blameless and irreproachable before him, provided that we continue securely established and steadfast in the faith without shifting from the hope he promised by the gospel that we heard. Do you see that image in there? Him, that he is holding us steadfast, like an anchor. He is holding us without shifting from the hope promised, right? Have, so have we, have we moved from, have we claimed Christ as our anchor? If we have previously done that, are we continuing to do that day by day? Are we needing to recommit our lives uh, to Christ as our anchor to secure ourselves in that salvation? Are we living lives that reflect our commitment? Jesus said a tree is known by its fruit. And I think we know when we are grounded in Christ, when we are being who we claim on the outside to be. And if we don't, I think that if we ask God to reveal that to us, he will. So today, um, I would like you to spend some time talking in your group about whether you have chosen Christ to be your anchor and whether, if you have not, whether that is something you are, would consider doing and how it is that we need to start aligning our life with um, God, with Christ and who he says he is. He is everything. Truly nothing else matters, but we can't do it on our own, and we need Christ. We need to awaken to his presence uh, within our lives, uh, whether we have begun following him or not. He is there whether we have chosen to follow him or not, and he is speaking to us, and now is the time to start asking, am I ready to start listening to him? Amen. Amen.